Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with all leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as in every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey, guys. So, new house, new car, new snow. What's new? I mean, hell froze over. I mean, Texas froze over. So, you know, <laughs> that's that's new. Um, right. So, so... We were talk, chatting a little bit before we started, just like we normally do. Um, and there, it reminded me of a story. So the background that I have, we all use virtual Zoom backgrounds, right? If I move, you can see this is a virtual Zoom background. So I was making up the story of my new house, um, including the fact that, you know, that thing there, I said, is the record that's currently playing. And, and these are, are the notes from the, of the artists that wrote my favorite songs, right? So just totally made up stuff. And it reminded me of the time I took my wife to the Denver Art Museum, the dam. Um, and it's not, a, it's not a very good art museum. It's never gonna make the top 10 list. At least it should never make anyone's top 10 list. Um, <laughs> it's not quite as bad as the Orange County Art Museum, which I think is really just an insurance scam. Um, it's, a way, it's a way for, for the Newport Beach wealthy to um, have someone else store the art that is too ugly to put up in their own homes. Oh, so California, um, not Florida, Orange County. No, no, California, Orange County. California. I, I very seldom frank, speak of Florida's Orange County because I have no, no real experience with it. Um, so we went to the dam and it was a bit boring and a bit crowded. So we couldn't really move through it quickly. And plus, I didn't want to waste the, the, the time that we took to get up there and the money we spent to get in. So I started making up the story of what was happening in every single painting. <laughs> I see. Right? You're creating your own backstory. I was absolutely creating my own backstory. And there was one, um, and it looked like it was Jesus talking to some people, but they were sitting at a table. And so it was it was Jesus telling the retelling the story of the loaves and the fishes. Hmm. Right. And it was basically, you should have seen it. There were there were like so many people. There had to be like, I don't know, 17. 18 people in total and all we had was five fishes and five loaves just five and we fed all of them all of them everyone had all they could some people even came back for seconds it was a miracle and i i have to say as a as like a just a fun way to spend a day and to kind of get the family interested in art it it was great we still talk about that day to to now and it's a really really fun exercise especially for those that watch the video and, and really want to work on their soft skills, right? I, I try to come up with ways um, for people to, to really work on their presentation skills, their dynamic speaking skills, those sort of things. Um, the three of us are really good at it. Um, and I'm often asked, you know, how do you become good at it? How do you get good on stage? How do you get good at storytelling, that sort of stuff? And it's really these little things that you do. Not everything's going to be fun. Not everything's going to be memorable. Right, but every now and again, you find something that is a tremendous amount of fun, and it turns an art museum into a party game. Right, you could go with five or six friends, you could go with the family, you could go with a mixed group, um, and the best part, and how you know you're doing it well, is where other people are stopping to listen to your explanation of what's happening in that particular painting. Mm. <laughs> You've convinced them that you're the historian in the room. Right. Right. And it's one, it has to be 100% made up. You're not allowed to go off fact. Like you could, you could say it's a Rembrandt and talk about, but the backstory has to be completely made up. You're not allowed to use real information and be factual in any way. 
that kind of happens to me on a uh, on a nightly basis. So my my wife and I are watching uh, older series that have been completed. In fact, her general philosophy is we won't watch anything on television that hasn't already completed. That there's a finale involved uh, because she doesn't want to be halfway through content, I guess. Uh, so we're currently in Lost. We're in the middle of Lost. I've never actually seen Lost before. She's never actually seen Lost before. So I couldn't appreciate how the how it even ends. We're in season, let's say, five of, of seven. Um, <laughs> what happens on a nightly basis is that we're essentially filling in the story um, in real time. Because, <laughs> you know, things are happening, new characters are coming in, and we have to think about, well, how is this affecting the backstory of any one of the characters in front of us? Because, you know, the general philosophy or general design of a lost episode is they're progressing the main story while telling you the backstory of one of the characters, right? And it's a new character every episode that they're, they're trying to fill in the gaps. But then you're left with a whole bunch of gaps still. So we spend the vast majority of the hour filling in our own gaps. It's like, oh, well, this guy must have had three babies and he must have been married three times for this reason. And the reason why this new character is in front of us is because he killed Sam. And Sam clearly had a problem with this guy. I would say we talk more than we listen every single episode. Thanks. So Lost was a particular problem for me. My no, wife was huge in the Lost. And it was a, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid the spoilers. And it was a cultural phenomenon, Lost was, right? Um, much like Game of Thrones was, right? There's been a, a dozen or so shows that have been cultural phenomenons. Lost was a big one. Um, and I think when J.J. Abrams started, I think he started planning it to be like one season. Maybe he could stretch it to two or three. Right. Never seven seasons. And you could see, especially when you get into season four and five, where the kind of stretching has become and the things that were discarded and never brought up again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So my wife's big into the show and I can't stand it. I'm like, there's, there's too much that just looks thrown together. Um, obviously, with the, stri the, the writer's strike, this show's gone off the rails. And she goes, really? Like, you have to watch it. No one knows how it's going to end. And I said, I know exactly how it's going to end. And I described what had happened right. up to this point. Hadn't been revealed. I just described what had happened. Right. And she goes, that is the dumbest ending possible. And I went, okay. Like, I, I, I have... I have no vested interest. I'm not spending my time watching the show and falling in love with the characters. And she's like, we should just, we'll watch it. I'll start it over from the beginning, right? Cause we had, we had some sort of service that would allow us to do that at the time. Probably some sort of, you know, uh, we, we DVR'd all the episodes we'll say. Um, and so we rewatched all of them so I could get caught up and now we're current and we're watching it through and watching it through and season five rolls around and season six rolls around. And she's like, see, there's no way what you said is gonna happen happens. Right. Season seven rolls around, the end of season, season seven comes and she looks at me and she goes, you son of a bitch. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly what I just series for So I don't wanna give you any spoilers, but um, People were, were I might I might bit disappointed. Not not Game of Thrones level disappointments. Let's not, you know, come on. That actually is our next series. I have never watched any episodes of Game of Thrones. Is so, okay. So so Game of Thrones is really, really, really good through season four. Season five, it starts to drift a little bit, but only a little bit. Season six and seven, don't watch, just pretend they're not there. And then watch the last like two episodes. I 
I'm, I'm not even like, I'm not trying to dissuade you from it or anything. Um, it's just, so it's based off a series of books by George R.R. R. Martin. This is, none of this is a secret, but he's not finished the book series yet. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long story. He's only finished the story up to book five or uh, season five. Right. So season six and season seven are not Martin's finished to the book series. I see. They had to go a different direction because he, if, if they had just gone to what, how the books are going to end, uh, no one would buy the books, no matter how long it took them to write it, because we've already seen how it ends. Right. Um, and because of that, you can see a, an obvious difference in quality of storytelling mm -hmm. between seasons one through five and then six and seven. They are very much more, I no longer know what to do with this. I've lost the threads of the, of the massively impressive cast of characters. Right. Um, and so you kind of like, if you're going to watch the show, you kind of need to know going in it, um, the story is only the story as long as the story exists. Once the reality veers, you know, once the story is no longer available to, to pull from, the reality of the situation is often very, very different. Right. Interesting. Okay. So, so think about that right there. When the story moves in a different direction, then you cannot continue that line. What happened when your strategy changes? Should you keep going directly or should you adjust to meet the need? So I spoon fed you that transition and I even paused to make sure you caught it. <laughs> yeah, that was too easy. One. We, need to, we need to make that much more difficult. So yeah, so, so Paul, the topic, as, as most weeks, the topic this week is your topic. You want, to, uh, you want to talk about it a little bit? So let's talk about the circumstance where you've rolled up the sleeves, you brought your team in a room for one or two weeks, you've built out a 50-page you know, PowerPoint presentation. It is the IT strategy. It is your long-term, here's my big, hairy, audacious goal within five to 10 years, this will be true. And it might be very declarative, right? We will be cloud only or cloud first or everything we do, I'm gonna shift. Uh, we're gonna be 100% current in our infrastructure and software. Uh, we're gonna be uh, consume only SaaS services. Uh, there we're gonna be so efficient, I'm only gonna require five people to do this work. We're gonna be 100% automated. You're gonna put all those strategies in place. And you're even gonna detail some sort of roadmap or plan to get there. Um, and then you implement this plan. And two years down the road, you find yourself far away from the strategy. So what's that difference between this declarative statement and what it actually took, the application of this complexity? What, why are they different? Why are sometimes they 180 degrees? So I, I think what you, I think you bring up a really good um, point and, and, and that's, you know, in, in the military, they would say um, a plan only survives first contact with the enemy. <laughs> right. right. Um, and I think it really speaks to the fact that a strategy is just that, right? A strategy is a desired outcome with steps, with the steps and context necessary to get there. But the reality is no strategy can fully encapsulate the totality of possibilities that exist within the real world. Right. Right. So, I mean, okay, cool. 
right? We're moving ERP to the cloud. Everything will be an as a service. Great. Until you get to that one plant that has a machine that hasn't been supported in 25 years where the connector itself has no cloud configurable option, then what do you do? Right. Or you keep training, you know, your, your plan is to be all data driven. You keep training data, data people and, and creating these impressive, you know, experienced data scientists only two years in every single one of them finds a new job. What's well, now been seven years and you don't have a data science group that has seven years of experience and nothing's actually been done because the, the ability to transition that work is non-existent. Right. Um, or something changes in the market or something changes in your business or something changes in your target customer base. Right. Um, I mean, the reality is strategy isn't law. Strategy is a goal. I, and I, I agree. And I think, I think those components are worthy of double click on. So if I were to re-articulate what you're saying, I think there is a, a constraints problem, right? You either didn't appreciate constraints that you'd be under, underwhelmed or have to overcome or new constraints were added. So that's the first one. You understood or misunderstood what you thought the future to be, right? Uh, you, uh, over, uh, you over assumed that cloud was gonna take over uh, and then edge wasn't important uh, or something else, right? There was, a, there was a technology that you thought was more urgent than what it actually was. Uh, that uh, third component is that you don't have the skill sets, the capability, the understanding, the ability to change. Um, and then the last one might be impact of change. You didn't appreciate the actual cost and impact, both positive or negative, to actually implement this roadmap. Um, I think those are kind of the four piece parts of why strategy doesn't equal reality sometimes. So let's start with constraints. What are the constraints that either you have fall, fallen into um, or you've heard encountered with others that would have prevented a strategy from being implemented. The the cost of currency, I would say, is a big constraint that I think I think most people lose an appreciation for, right? Because currency isn't just let's replace the old with the new, and move on with our day, right? Um, and, and I would say the undercurrent to all of this is going to be the same, and the undercurrent to all of this is going to be people. It's it's really 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 hard to get a, a total appreciation for the complexities that are human beings. Um, and so when we look to currency, right? Okay, cool. Yep. We're, we're going to upgrade Oracle from not current version to beyond current version, right? We're going to switch to an as a service offering. Cool. Um, but we fail to take into consideration the, the total cost of that currency um, in the things that interface with it, either, especially if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, in something involving machines where the machines feed directly in or are controlled by, um, and then the people, right? How hard is it going to be to retrain people who don't see technology as um, a, a welcome bedfellow, right? To now become, we'll call, we'll say, digital, right? For all this to work, it has to be digital. Okay, cool. So what does that mean? Well, if we ignore the people, adoption falls, right? Our our retention also falls, right? Um, and all we're going to do is, is have constant barriers to, that push the rollout back further and further and further. And before you know it, a six-month delay has become a six-year delay. Right. 
right? And a five-year project has become a 15-year project and your 10-year your strategy no longer matters because you failed to account for the currency of the people problem or the currency of some required hardware interface. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Currency is a pretty big one. I think financial constraints are one of those big ones, right? Do you say, I'm going to shift my core banking system to be SaaS? Well, you know, you didn't realize or didn't appreciate that that was a billion dollar price tag to make that happen. Right. Okay, well, that, that, that's a problem. Nobody's going to give you a billion dollars. Um, I think the constraint of time might be the problem. This is a much longer exercise than you're envisioning it to be, right? I have to convert 25 years worth of banking transactions. And while that, that might be three years in the making to make that happen, because it's not possible to do that conversion. Uh, you have the um, uh, constraint of, um, of just not having any of the uh, technology wherewithal, which is sort of the people-centric stuff you talked about. We can talk about in a second. Uh, but you might have you know, real technological constraints, like I don't have the source code for those applications, right? Uh, which falls under that currency diagram. There's, there's also legislation that falls under the currency, yeah. right? Sure. Three, you didn't have an appreciation for what was coming. And three years in, new legislation passed, or four years in, or five years in, new legislation passed that passes that says your prior strategy around security or your prior strategy around privacy is no longer the appropriate one. It's no longer legal for you to use. Now you have to redo it all, right? right? And the appetite for, for the remainder of your strategy is going to be heavily impacted by mistakes like that. Right. So, so guys, listening to both of you in those first two, are there folks that are more strategy resistant that they don't want because they expect that things need to stay the same way? Or how should a leader work that out so we can then get that strategy moving forward? So, so the, the fact is, yes, in every organization, you're going to have people that are resistant to strategy as a general term and your strategy specifically. You're never, ever, ever going to have a strategy that has any merit to it that someone somewhere that matters isn't resistant to. It's going to happen. It's going to happen over and over again. Part of strategy is selling the strategy and selling the vision. You are required to do so. Also, no strategy that has any merit to it has ever not been bought in by everyone above you and everyone at the C-suite, right? If the CEO's not bought in, if the CEO doesn't understand the strategy, fully support the strategy and willingly fund the strategy, not, I guess we have to do it because you said we have to do it, but rather this is the right move for the company, your strategy is not likely to succeed if it's if it's got any any serious merit to it. Otherwise, it's just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Yep. And then of course you have multiple different types of CIOs. The command and control CIO who've been doing this for 25 years, who worried about almost entirely cost containment, probably isn't thinking about implementing massive technological or operational change. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the first dimension, which was the constraints. The second dimension is, is the technology decision-making. Maybe I picked the wrong horse, right? Maybe I, maybe I beta maxed myself, right? Uh, <laughs> or um, I just didn't prioritize, right? I thought that 3D printing was gonna be the biggest bang for the buck. And in fact, I don't actually produce any physical things. 
that I actually require a 3D printer for, right? So now I'm just 3, 3D printing paper, which clearly isn't helpful. Or, or the other way around is also possible, right? In that in that instance where um, I didn't think I didn't think my organization would ever utilize rapid prototyping, right? And three years in, all I'm seeing is my competitors are all doing rapid prototyping, um, and now my my design engineers all they're doing is act, act, asking for rapid prototyping, and I've got no space in the budget and no space in the strategy to support what's what's needed in rapid prototyping. So then, how do we overcome? Picking the wrong horse. What's what? What's our best bet to create a strategy that is more aligned with what the future might look like? Um, first, be open to it, right? Um, not only understand the context of where you are and how you got there and what your own maturity level is at to a really honest level, mm -hmm. but also understand what the maturity level of your competition is and kind of where everybody's looking. And what the what the possibilities are, and leave room for them at the very least, mm -hmm. right? In in that case, if you're in manufacturing, if you build a physical product, even if you outsource the building of that, even if you outsource the manufacturing itself, but you sell a physical product, rapid rapid prototyping should absolutely, and 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 I think it's called spot manufacturing, where you use three D printers to to um, to manufacture some small percentage of components to deal with supply chain issues. Those should absolutely be considered, yeah. right? And then really ensure that you do your due diligence in the vendors that you choose, right? One of the pieces of advice that I give is um, ensure that you're right-sizing your vendors, right? If you've got a 10-year strategy, there's so much that'll change in 10 years, pick a partner that is roughly sized to you. If you're $4 billion, don't pick a $40 billion vendor. Don't pick a $400,000 vendor either, right? Right. Pick someone that's that's or a forty million dollar vendor. Right. Pick someone that's that's roughly sized to you. So when you walk into the relationship, you can both be roughly same sized. Right. Um, you you're not going to be strategic with a two million dollar plant project to a forty billion dollar vendor. Right. And so if they decide they're no longer going to continue to support your vertical because there's just not enough money in it. You might find chapters one and two of your strategy complete and three through 10 dead in the water. Now we have to start over with a new vendor that doesn't have appreciation for the work that's previously been done. Right. A huge dollar mistake. And then same the other way around, right? If, if you're choosing a vendor that's $40 million, um, they're likely to run into problems within 10 years that amount to we no longer have the operating capital to continue or we've been bought out by someone who no longer cares about what you're doing. Right, um, and I see that with technology an awful lot more. Right, um, you know, we we all joke about insert name of your favorite company here just bought insert name of an actual really good company um, and destroyed the product. Right, right. We've seen we we've seen many times companies acquire products simply to take them off the market. Mm -hmm. Right now, that's not going to happen. You know, EMC, for instance, isn't going anywhere. Right, Hitachi's not going anywhere. Um, you know, uh, NetApp's not going anywhere. Yeah. Right. Um, but look at Violin. Right. I, I don't know if you remember Violin. Yep. They had a really cool all-flash array um, in the early days of AFA. Um, a bunch of companies I know that invested in them, and two years later, they were simply gone. They simply did not exist anymore. Yep. Right. If your strategy didn't involve the potential replacement of them as a vendor you were in trouble. And at the time, there really wasn't 
a lot of companies that could support the transaction speed that they could. Or you've chosen to go all in on violin and then you've displaced all your infrastructure. Doesn't yeah, it? I knew a bunch of companies that had done that, that went all in on violin. Um, and, and it wasn't just, okay, cool. Now I have the cost of having to go out and buy something new, but it was, uh, I, there is nothing that will fit in the same number of racks, the same BTU, at the same number of interfaces and support the same performance the violin did at the time, right? Now, now of course there is, but they were, they were definitely ahead of the market, right? And, and that, that kind of is, is a big piece of risk that you face when dealing with, you know, kind of bleeding edge decisions and the bleeding edge can be people processes or technology. My advice is always don't believe your own bias and own experience, right? Uh, while that's interesting to um, articulate what a plan might look like, where the constraints might be, uh, but you really need external objective opinion, right? To say, um, what are what is the maturity? What's the urgency? What are others doing? What are my competitors doing? What are other industries doing? Um, what kind of revenue growth are these organizations making? in order to help me decide what my better bet. I probably won't be able to make a best bet, but certainly I'll be able to make a better bet, which I think would be helpful. And on the other side of that equation, don't presume that the thing I'm picking, whether it's a technology or a partner or a provider or a product, that it shouldn't also be replaceable. And that in short periods of time, I may have in fact made a poor choice and therefore I need to replace it. So the cost of change needs to be still relatively low in case, in fact, I made a poor decision, right? To hedge against some of those bets. So, so we, we on this podcast are huge fans of perspective. And the first piece of advice you gave was just that. Ensure you have perspective. Perspective is never within one person. It's always, with, with, it's always within several, right? Um, and, and I would say the other side of the equation of what you described is true, right? Look outside your organization to see what is possible and reasonable, but use the perspective within the organization to confirm its applicability, right? If your maturity model is effectively, we simply just invented fire and the wheel, artificial intelligence is not a near-term thing you should be implementing, <laughs> right? We saw it all the time. Yeah. All, all three of us saw it constantly. Customers going, we're ready for AI and ML, but we can't seem to get out of the kind of Get, get into an ROI. Cool. Describe to me your enterprise information management. Describe to me your GRC. I don't know what those things are. I think I found the problem. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Best step or two. Let's, let's talk about those. Right. right. Let's talk about a data strategy maturity model. I've never heard of that before. Right. Because. Have, have you heard of data? <laughs> right. Right. Because you decided to go from just invented the wheel and, and fire to building a rocket to the moon. Right. It's not surprising to me that, that you're going to miss the moon and the rocket exploded five feet off the launch, the launch pad, right. right? So it's really about the appropriateness of any solution has to be considered. And that requires internal perspective. The availability of solutions absolutely requires external perspective. Okay, so we talked about constraints that are unknown or not perceived. And then we talked about making potentially poor technology decisions. The next one's about capability, that I didn't have the capability or didn't appropriately implement it or didn't appropriately implement it in time. Whether that's people capability, I don't have the skill sets to do the thing that I think I need to do, or I don't have an organizational model that would receive that. So, you know, I have a compute team and a networking team and a 
and a network and a storage team, but I don't have a virtualization team or I don't have a converged team. What does that actually mean? Or I don't have people that even know how to do automation, right? I simply don't have the technological wherewithal to implement this roadmap. And therefore I probably didn't even define the roadmap appropriately. So that's, that's the, the, the capability sort of gap there. I would say, or I didn't understand the required scale of the capability. And I'll use DevOps as an example, right? right? We, I knew I needed DevOps. We planned for the capability of DevOps right there in software where it belongs. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Development operations, they need to come together. So I must have DevOps in operations in that I must have DevOps in development. And one would also say, you must have sec DevOps as well, right? I must be able to apply security to everything that I do. And when it comes to capabilities, um, I as often see everything you're describing as much as I do, we've got tons of capabilities siloed over here in the thing we need silo, in, in the thing we need to remove the silos from. And, and I think maybe that's really good advice, right? When you're talking about capabilities, that capabilities must exist outside of predefined silos. Mm -hmm. If all you're doing is creating more silos, what you're really doing is removing capabilities from the organization. You're concentrating capabilities in one spot and you will rapidly find that one spot to not be the right spot. And don't presume the capability will be shrink wrapped in a box, right? Just because you buy this product and implement it does not give you a DevOps capability. No. It doesn't allow you to create 100% automation just because you have the tooling yep. to implement script automation. Then none of those things help, right? So I've got Tools. to think about the product. I've got to think about the process. I've got to think about skill sets of individual people, potentially the org model, where those people sit. It's a bunch of stuff. Um, so tools never equal capabilities, that. right? Tools never equal capabilities. They will never equal capabilities. Capabilities are a a huge breadth of things. Tools are included, sure. I have to have the tool, I have to be able to swing the hammer. Right. But when we talk about capabilities, they're far more people-centric. Right. So, so how do I overcome that? Let's say I don't know how to do DevOps. I've no, I have none of that skill set, none of the background, nobody who works for me has that skill set. What do I do? Um, you hire a consultant that knows how to build a DevOps practice. It's a very specific skill that you look for and, and replace DevOps with anything else, but it's build a practice is what you're looking for, right? right? Um, I, I could not have uh, software development on staff, right? I could have contracted that out my whole life. Cool. What I need to find is someone that can consult not on software development, because all I'm going to do is get another consultant. What I need is to find someone who can consult on building a software development team. Mm -hmm. And whether that's a short-term contract, 12, 12 month contract, or whether that's I'm going to acquire that person and add them to my staff to build that out. That's what you wanna look for. And it's a very specific. You don't wanna look for someone who, who, who has the skill. You wanna look for someone who knows how to build the team, mm -hmm. right? So, cause you're adding the capability. The capability cannot reside within one person. And that's a, another really good point. You have zero capabilities if only one person knows how to do the thing. That does not count as a capability, right? A bus lottery situation should not be able to remove a capability from your organization. That's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> right. Oh, right? Lottery might, but a bus shouldn't. But, uh, unless the whole team's buying the lottery ticket. <laughs> right. Right. That's right. A mandate that your whole team, only three people in any one particular team could go buy into the same ticket. 
Right, right. Or, you know, have at least have a gentleman's agreement that you all will stick around for six months and, and talk about your retirement plans to the whole company while you ensure the next team that, that can replace you gets replaced. Like, you know, there are solutions, but, but I see that a lot. I see, I see a lot where, well, we don't really know how to use this anymore because it was a tool and the one guy who knew how to use the tool is gone. So now we're just left with the tool right. and we hope it works. Another sort of approach to this would be um, if it does require technology, if it does require a product or a set of services, that the outcomes of those projects is creating skill sets within my team. So the outcome of the project isn't an installed product or running service. Right. The outcome of that project is that I have a team of people that can do it without you. That yes. I no longer require this third party to do any work because I've obtained all the necessary skills to do it myself. It might not be perfect, but that should be the outcome of that. And that way you really know you have that skill set, you have that capability going forward. It's also not a capability until it's tested. You don't get a capability because you sent three people to a two-week class. Six months later, the product was implemented. Right. That's not considered a capability. A capability is I have at least three people on staff that know how to use it to the intermediate to advanced level. Right. Right. Not one, because one person goes on vacation or gets hit by a bus or moves on. Not two, because same thing. Three. Right. So I really need three people that know how to do anything. What's the order of operations there? Do I learn a skill and hope I apply it? No. Or like what's, uh, how do I know when? So, so yeah, so, I, so let me, let me, let me change that. I is not the purpose of our, of our podcast, right? So for the, for the, for the audience to be very specific, um, we as a company don't invest in the skill until we're ready to use the skill. We don't send people to an Azure class a year before we're ready to implement Azure. Right. We watch some YouTube videos, we read some articles, we discuss Azure, right? When we're signing the contract with Microsoft, we're also sending people to the class, right? right? So they can come back from the class and immediately start working with the consultant we've hired to help us with the project. And, and that's another one. Don't think you can do it yourself internally and be successful every time. Hmm. Right? And the larger the project, the more you need to dedicate your own resources to it and have a consultant. Really, really important, right? You need an expert to act as a mentor to your team. Right. There's a, you cannot send people to a class and go, well, this is solved. I have never, in the dozens and dozens of classes I've been to, I have never been to a class where the objective of the class match the objectives of my use of the product, ever. Unless the entire purpose of your company is to create hello world test examples. Correct. Correct. <laughs> right. Or to, to write the next mock, the next Microsoft official curriculum. That's right. right? Like That's if you're Pearson, you it's a different story. Right. Right. So we talked constraints. Uh, we talked. Capability. Uh, sorry, what was that? Constraints. We've talked capability. Capability. Uh, what was the middle one? Uh, technology decisions. Right. Yeah. Uh, and now it's impact of change. So what if it's, what if I misunderstood or misinterpreted the actual impact of this strategy to the, to the organization holistically, that they, the organization had to make massive changes or that they had to invest 
three times as much as they normally would have in technology, or that we now require them to work differently than they would have expected before. Oh, we, we misunderstood that. How do we, how do we get over that problem set? Well, well, a few of those should be red, resume generating events, right? <laughs> right? This project, this strategy is gonna cost three times what I expected it to cost. You probably should have been aware, aware of that. Prepare to have your resume ready. Right. Right. The organization, this required a massive change in how the organization works and the organization did not agree that they needed that change. Right. Expect that to generate a, be a, a resume generating event, right? Like the reality is you have to know that before going in on your strategy. You have to understand the financial impact and you have to understand the human impact. If you don't understand those going in, your strategy isn't actually a strategy, it's a wish. <laughs> right. Right. What if I'm going from nothing to something? So I have a relatively large set of manual processes that I have a whole bunch of business people doing. However, in five years, I'm going to be a 100% ERP environment. That's a pretty dramatic change to the organization. The organization knows it to be true. That's, that's what the CEO wants. But I misinterpreted or misunderstood what the actual impact of doing that, that it's not actually possible in the timeline to which we all perceived to be true. So, so I would say you, you skipped two pieces that are really, really, really important. Because I'm sure in that you built a dev environment, you built a test environment and you tested. Yeah. You probably didn't do your UAT, your user acceptance testing. You probably skipped some of that that you should have done. And then the other one way before that, you probably failed to do your user interviews. Right. Because what you're describing happens often um, and, and it happens when you put a bunch of VPs in a room, nothing wrong with VPs, but the fact is a VP doesn't work the machine. They don't work the ERP. They're not the ones, you know, using the Excel documents, right. right. That you're trying to automate. Um, so once you've decided this is the strategy and this is what we want to do, the very first thing you need to do is start interviewing the users that you're going to impact and getting their thoughts on the process, getting, getting a, an appreciation for what they actually do. That's incredibly critical. Failing to do that's a problem. Now, the other one is what if the business changes? If the business changes, you're required to be agile. The very first thing I said was a strategy is not law, right? So even your strategy, even a 10 year forward looking document, you have to have the ability to reach up, grab the chain and pull the alert that we're slamming on the brakes because something major has changed. There's a roadblock and we're going to build track around it. Or <laughs> the destination is no longer the company's destination, right? I think we've talked in every podcast that it's really about IT being a partner to the business, understanding how the business makes money, why the business makes money that way and supporting the business's ability to make money. When the business changes that, IT has to be the first one to say we're here to support it, to support you. And if that means you ask questions, you ask a lot of questions. And, and I think that's the biggest sort of piece of advice we're saying. So all of those constraints could be, come true. And it's quite possible there's nothing I could do to stop all of those constraints. We, we gave them lots of advice to say how oh, I could minimize that, but it's quite possible that, it, that something actually comes through. Uh, I think what we're saying here is there is no such thing as a five-year technology strategy. You might have a five-year endpoint uh, to which you are now going to renew every single year. And not only going to renew the endpoint, 
you're going to renew the waypoints every single year. You can't have a five-year strategy that doesn't change for five years. That's yeah. simply not possible. Maybe 25 years ago, that was possible. You had a mainframe, you implement it, and you're doing nothing else. But that's not true now, where technology changes in six-month cycles. I, I now have to presume that my strategy might change pretty dramatically on a year-on-year -year basis. Yeah. And I have to renew it, especially if the business strategy changes. Technology strategy is the very next document one needs to, to articulate and look at. And therefore, your constraint or your negative impacts from, from going from strategy to plan are really minimized because I can make real-time changes to what my actual implementation plan looks like. I would say um, the analogy I like is that of discovering the new world, right? Um, when you're discovering the new world, right? It's not like um, Columbus said, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna aim for the West Indies, right? right? Um, it was the new world because no one had mapped the currents, no one had mapped the tides, no one had map, mapped the wind patterns, no one knew where the coral reefs were, no one knew where the dangerous seas were, no one knew where the small land masses were, the things you had to sail around, how exactly how long it was going to take, right? And so look to your strategy the same way. Where do we wanna go? We wanna to go to the new world, why? To discover the riches that lie within, right? Not, I need to hit Florida, <laughs> right? right? And just go, I mean, I, I, in general, I advise don't aim for Florida, but, but my specific thing was, you're not gonna be able to define that target that far ahead. Right. It, and then as you get closer, right? Okay, now I know what the waters have been like behind me. I'm sailing a new ocean. I can assume some portion of the, of the next piece is going to be similar to what I, what I did before, right? So yeah, okay, so maybe I give myself 14 months to make it across the ocean. And the reality is that the speed we're moving with the prevailing winds, I think maybe we could do it in seven. So let's call it 10, right? As you get closer and you start to be able to see the land and see what's there, you go, okay, well, that looks kind of like desert. I don't really want the desert, but there's a ton of land north. Let's continue to move, right? Or holy crap, this is cold. I don't like the cold and we did not plan for the cold. Let's go south, right? The resolution of the end is should only be apparent to you as you get closer to the end. And up till that point, you have to be able to, to, your strategy has to allow for enough drift to compensate for reasonability, right? Yeah. If you're a bank today, your strategy should not include, what if we pivot and become a manufacturing company, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> or a telco, telco. But if you're a bank today, it absolutely should pivot and say, what if we have retail banking in 10 years? And definitely pack more citrus than you expected. That's true. true. Scurvy's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos, that's a great ending. That, my friends, was awesome. And, and as always, learning alone is is no fun. And and this podcast, I sit down and I listen to them and I apply it with my team. And you should do the same thing. You should take the time, take notes, share with your team so you can grow then your team grow, then your company grow. Because remember, we want to be the leaders that we're meant to be. My friends, make sure that you subscribe and you share, and we'll see you on our next episode.